Well, hey, we're glad you're back with us for another week in our Seasons of the Soul series. This is week three. We're diving into a brand new season uh, in this conversation. But before we do that, I want to recap where we've been so far. So we started this whole entire conversation off with spring and the idea that spring is the beginnings of growth and anticipation. And uh, if we're not busy planting during the spring, right, there's not going to be any harvest later. And then last week we talked all about summer, right? And how this is a, a time to find balance with work and rest, right? That's going to allow for some sustainable growth. And it's this tension that we have to manage because if we're not careful, we turn our work, uh, it, it, we turn our rest into our work, right? And, and it becomes this tension, right? All these fun things that we fill our schedule up with over and over and over again. And then before you know it, we're just exhausted all of the time and we have not found a way to balance work and rest in that summer season. And and at the end of summer, right, after all that work has come to fruition and, and everything is ready and you've planted in the spring and all that stuff, here comes the current season, fall. Here comes that season where we start to reap the rewards and the benefits of all this different stuff, right? But, but I want to do this first. I want to take you uh, maybe to your feelings or your emotions or your senses before we ever go into this conversation. So what I'm going to do uh, is a little bit different, but I'm just going to list off some things to kind of help us get in the mindset of fall and to kind of get your framework there. So check this out, changing leaves, right? When those leaves go from green to that beautiful red, brown color. I know we're in Florida, and so there's like three species of trees that do that. But if you've ever been on a trip up uh, to the mountains or taken a trip up the Blue Ridge, specifically on the East Coast, this time of year, it's gorgeous. Those trees and those leaves start to transition. Or if you've ever been to Hobby Lobby to get decorations, right? You buy the leaves that don't look like the leaves in Florida. They're orange, right? Those changing leaves, that chill in the air, that first big cold front that comes through, right? That says, hey, wait a minute, turn the AC off. We can just open the windows today. Those bonfires where you get together because it's chilly and you guys can start to sit around the fire, maybe do some s'mores, hang out, sing some songs, whatever that looks like, right? Those, those fires that you can finally invite into the conversation because it's cold enough to do so. Or like I said a second ago, Hobby Lobby decorations, right? I know uh, there's a switch that flips in the Stevens house, right? When October 1st gets here, it's time to go out to the shed, grab everything orange and brown, bring it into the house and turn our house from October uh, through the end of November into a fall festival, right? Our living room looks like everything fall. Or how about this one? Pumpkin spice lattes, right? I know some of you girls are with me, and then some of you guys are secretly with me, but pumpkin spice lattes are a big part of that. Ladies, wearing big sweaters, laying on the couch. Guys, deer season, right? This is that time of year where those different things uh, start to remind us and tell us, hey, a different season is coming. And it's interesting because uh, a sociologist, Catherine Lively, she said this. She said, the reason fall is a favorite for a lot of people is because it's a comforting time of year for a lot of people. And in America, by and large, we associate happiness with a comfortable or cozy lifestyle. So it's no wonder fall is the favorite time of year. As Americans, we think cozy, comfortable. I have all my ducks in a row. Everything's okay. That's when life is at its peak. And in large part, that's kind of why we associate fall with the favorite time of year, right? I looked at a bunch of different studies and, and the ranges were anywhere from 29 to 48% of Americans said, hey, out of the four seasons, that's my favorite. I don't know if you're a math major or not, but if it's over 25, then that means uh, unanimously it is the favorite season of the year. And so uh, it's just interesting, right, that, that fall gets the nod for the favorite season of the year over and over and over again. But here's the other interesting thing. Here's what Lively also said about this. Uh, she's a sociologist, right? She studies at Dartmouth and teaches at Dartmouth. And here's what she says about uh, fall in general and why she thinks it's so appealing to us, in particular as Americans, 
It's because of our structure from the ages of zero to 18. Check this out. She says, as children, we come to associate fall with going back to school, new school supplies, seeing friends. It's exciting for most. We still respond to this pattern that we experienced 18 years ago or for 18 years straight, right? And so she's saying we respond to this pattern because in our minds, in our hearts, in our senses, in our memories, this was an incredible thing. And so when we think fall, we immediately associate back to those big core and good memories. And that's fascinating because what she's suggesting is that how your seasons look right now and how you handle your seasons right now will directly impact how you handle those seasons later and what you think about them, right? And that's a huge piece of information, especially as we've been having this conversation, right? How you allow seasons to shape you now is going to be a good indicator of how you're going to respond to them later on in life. And that's why we're having this conversation because we think there's, there's good parts to every season. There's bad parts to every season. We want to navigate them in a healthy way. And we want to understand that sometimes even when they're difficult, there's a good response to the worst parts uh, of every season. Right. And so with that, um, we're going to have this conversation all around fall. We're going to see what fall looks like and what this fall season can look like in our lives, not just uh, in October down here in Florida or not just October, wherever you're at, but fall as a season in our life. That's going to be our conversation piece today. And so uh, I want to read this quote to you to kind of kick us off here, because I think this is a great thrust into where we are going to go with the conversation today. But fall is the harvest. Projects come to an end. Work comes to an end and we celebrate the harvest. We celebrate what God is doing through us and around us. We celebrate all that God has been working through us. We enjoy it. We take time and relish it. We tell stories. We bring our friends. We share that. But it's not a time of starting new. It's a time of things coming to an end. Interesting. It's an interesting way to think about fall, right? Fall is this, this, this moment in your life, this season in your life where nothing new is starting but you're getting a chance to enjoy everything that you have worked for, right? Everything that you have worked for is coming to an end and you're getting an opportunity, a moment in your life, in the season of your life to sit there, to ponder that, to appreciate that, to figure out what to do with that, right? And so I think some of the questions we've been asking as we frame these conversations is, okay, what am I supposed to do in the fall? What does God do in the fall? What does an unhealthy fall look like? What does a healthy fall look like? All that stuff, right? And so before we uh, go anywhere with what we're supposed to do with fall, I think it's good that we stop and we say, okay, If fall is a season appointed by God, right? It's one of those conversation pieces we've been having. This is appointed by God. Then what is God doing in fall? How do I know what God is doing? How do I I come along that same journey with God so I'm not pulling against him, right? Because I don't want to be running in a different direction from God. What is God doing in fall? And how does that affect what I'm doing, where I'm going, uh, and every implication that it has with that? So check this out. I think the first thing that we see as we read through the text is that when we look at what God is doing in the fall, he's bringing a harvest, right? God is bringing the harvest in the fall. We plant the seed, but God is the one that's saying, hey, all of that is coming to fruition right now. Here's what I'm blessing you with. Here's what I'm giving you. Here's what I'm giving you an opportunity to steward well. Here is the harvest. In Psalm 107 verses 37 and 38, uh, it says this, they sow fields and plant vineyards that yield a fruitful harvest. He blesses them and they multiply greatly. He does not let their livestock decrease. I check that out, right? There's that, there's that twofold. There's that what me and you do, and then there's that what God does, right? It says, they sow the fields. They plant the vineyards that yield fruitful harvest. They do the sowing, the planting, but who does the blessing? Who does uh, the bringing, right? God, he blesses him, and they multiply greatly. He 
does not let their livestock decrease. And so when we talk about these seasons of life, right, and we talk about all this fruitful effort that we've put in, I think the first thing it's important to acknowledge is that, yeah, you can put in a lot of effort, but these seasons are appointed and it is God that's going to bring the harvest in the middle of the seasons of your life. I love this from one of these pastors. This has been floating around uh, for many decades, right? We've probably heard this. And so it's so, so popular. We don't know who exactly to attribute it to, uh, but the saying goes like this, pray like it depends on God and work like it depends on you, right? You have a role in the process, but don't get it twisted. Don't mess it up. It is God that's going to yield the reward. It's God that's going to bring the blessings, right? God even supplies the seed that we plant as well as brings the harvest, which should really move our hearts towards thanksgiving. And so when we talk about this, what does God do in the fall? Uh, when you open your Bibles, you read 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 10 and 12. Here's what it says. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. He will be enriched, or you will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. And so we see that when God does this, there's a response, right? There, there, when God does this, I, he's got a role in this, and then I've got a response to that, and my response has got to be, wow, an acknowledgement of what God's doing. I'm going to be grateful. I'm going to be thankful because God appoints these seasons, and he's the one that's bringing the harvest. He is the one that produces the fruit. He is the one when seasons get hard, right? When fall gets dangerous, right? When we listen to what Dr. Lively said about all this stuff, when those seasons happen, it's good to reorient ourselves and say, okay, it's God that's doing the bringing. It's God that's doing the blessing. And so when I get on the other side of this and I start getting exhausted and overwhelmed or any of that, I can look back and I can say, you know what? It's not my own volition anyway. It's God. God's got to be a part of the equation in the middle of this season of my life. But then there's that tension of, okay, well, well how do I know if that's the season I'm in, right? Like I'm, I'm struggling to distinguish between uh, spring and fall. There's harvest, there's, there's growing or all this different stuff, right? How do I know that fall is the season that I'm in? Here's the first great indicator of that. You start seeing fruit. You start seeing fruit around you from the things that you have been working so diligently on, so hard. I know for me personally, uh, the, the season of fall right now that I'm in in my life is the people that I have been individually investing in and pouring into over and over and over and over again. And you start to wonder, man, is this working? Is it, is it worth it? Is it going to be impactful? And then all of a sudden, you start to see the fruit of that. All of a sudden, you start to see life change from that individual. And you, see, you realize, man, this is God bringing the harvest after many, many days in the field. So you're beginning to see fruit. That's the first piece, uh, the first indicator to help us recognize, man, we are in fall. The second thing, there's nothing new that needs to be started, right? You're not in this season that you're like, man, what can I go? What can I do? How can we get this off the ground? All this kind of stuff, right? How can I, how can I fix this? How can I make this? How can I bring this, right? It's not that. It's, it's no. All of that groundwork has been laid. There's nothing new that needs to be started. I just need to experience the culmination of everything that has already happened, right? I've got a role now to sit, to listen, to harvest, to reap the things that I have put so much time and effort and energy into. Here's a great example of that. I know we talk about uh, micro seasons and macro seasons a lot with this series. Uh, we're sitting around our table Tuesday and Pastor Eddie Blaylock said, hey, here's a great indicator of fall. Here's a great indicator in the macro season of your life that you're entering fall. I said, what is it? He said, that your kids think you're smart, that your kids start to finally think you're smart again. 
And what he's saying is I have put all that time, all that energy, all that effort into raising my kids well, right? They go through the season where they think you're the stupidest person in the world. And then eventually, because you've sowed over and over and over and over again, you start to realize, okay, hey, now they're coming back to dad for advice. Now they're coming back to mom for advice. Now they're in the same position I was in when I had them as a 16-year-old and they're saying, hey, how did you navigate that with such grace? They're coming around and you're seeing the fruit of everything that you have invested in in that macro season. But with every season, right, there's pros, there's cons, there's good things, uh, like like rewarding, like the reward, the, the being able to reap the harvest, and then there's the dangerous things, right? Like, and we talked about this in, in both the other weeks, but there's these dangerous moments that we have to be careful of, that we have to watch out for in these seasons. And so what are the dangers of fall? I think one of those dangers is uh, kind of what Lively mentioned, right? Where she said, hey, there's this, there's this tendency to kind of turn inward to make sure we get on the couch with our blanket and then that's it, right? And maybe we don't see that as a danger at first, but if we're not careful, uh, we really and truly do turn inward and we don't understand the repercussions of that. But one of the dangers of fall is that we start to turn inward, right? And we start to say, okay, all these things that I've reaped, all these things uh, that I've gotten to experience, this harvest that God has blessed me with, I'm going to sit on it. I'm just going to keep it. I'm going to make sure this is uh, all for me. I'm going to have a nice safety net and I'm never going to figure out what it looks like to bless other people with the harvest that God has blessed me with, right? The perfect example of this uh, as Americans specifically where we just desperately clutch and we grab onto uh, all these different things is called loss aversion bias, right? And and I was looking up some things on loss aversion bias and I was kind of uh, trying to find a good way to explain it, but I'm just going to tell you uh, the most simple way that I found on the internet to help unpack loss aversion bias for you, okay? It's a cartoon with two stick people. On the left side of this cartoon, there's a guy who just won $10 and he says, heh, cool, I guess. I just won $10. That's great. It's not going to make me rich. It's not going to help me retire, but that's a good thing. I, I appreciate that. I enjoy that. And then on the other side of that graphic, there's a stick figure and he's crying and he says, I, I just lost $10. What a cruel world, right? And the reality is that when we experience loss and when we have to let things go and when we give things up, especially as Americans, we feel that way more than whenever we're blessed with something initially right? We struggle because we want to clutch things so tightly because I think in a way we, we start to believe the lie that, no, this is our home. This is what I'm looking forward to. This is where eternity is going to be. And we start to lose perspective and we start to clutch the things that we've gotten blessed with so tightly that we don't ever learn how to steward them well. And so we end up with loss aversion bias where it feels so much worse to lose than it does to actually gain. And so when we gain, we've got to navigate, we've got to figure out what it looks like to steward that stuff well because this mindset's dangerous and it has spiritual implications right uh, i think if you look at luke 12 this is the perfect example of that this is this is a conversation that's unfolding it says jesus told him a parable it says a rich man's land was very productive he thought to himself what should i do since i don't have anywhere to store my crops my land's productive i don't have anywhere to store these crops i will do this he said i'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there then i'll say to myself you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you're a fool. This very night, your life is demanded of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Right, Jesus seen it. He's like, hey, listen, this, isn't, this life is not about storing up everything you possibly can. The posture that we need to have whenever we realize we're in a fall season and God has blessed us with something is to turn around and say, hey, I'm not going to hoard this. That's dangerous. I'm going to see just how much of this I can start to bless other people with, just how well I can steward all of these things 
that God has given me. And that perspective really and truly does come when we understand that all of it comes from God. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 10 through 12 uh, says this. I want you to listen to the end of this little passage, right? When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he would give you a land with large and beautiful cities that you did not build, houses full of every good thing that you did not fill them with, cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. And when you eat and are satisfied, be careful not to forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. I think that's huge. I think it's just another reminder that God is the one that brings the harvest. God is the one that supplies the seed. And we need not forget that because I think here's what happens. When we remember that, when we remember that every blessing we have is from God, it helps us hold it a little bit looser and say, you know what? God has called me to something more than just clutching this and gripping this tightly. I want to steward this well. I want to bless others with this fall season that I'm in. But if we don't and we look inward and we look internal only, it becomes very dangerous and we start to sit on the things that God has blessed us with and then we're not using them the way that he indicated. And in a large way, Jesus indicates this, right? He says, then God looks at you and says, why have you decided to make this place your home? That is not why I blessed you. I did not bless you so that you could dig your heels in on this earth. You know you're longing for something better. And so we've got to have that posture. We've got to have that mindset, right? It's as simple as what uh, Jesus says in Matthew 6. He says, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's a sobering reminder. Where my treasure is, there my heart will be also. How about this? How, how tightly we grip onto the things that God has blessed us with is going to be a good indicator of whether or not we're handling this fall season the way that he wants us to. Because it's real easy and there's a really thin line where we go from worshiping the God who has given us things to worshiping the things that he's given us. And that's a dangerous, dangerous thing that's going to turn us inward and not allow us to use the fall season that God has blessed us with the way that he's intended for us to use it. And so there is this 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 role from God. There is this uh, posture from us, this recognition of where we're at. And I think specifically there's two more things, especially as we ask the question, okay, so what should I do during fall? I'm in fall season. I see the blessings. I see there's nothing new to be happening. What should I be doing right now? The first thing I think is this, we need to learn to harvest with open hands. And the first part of that is worship. We've got to worship in the middle of fall, but here's where it also becomes dangerous. Your worship is not contingent on whether or not you're in fall. Your worship is not dictated by whether or not you're in a season of yielding crops or in a season of a barren wasteland, right? That is not where worship uh, is conditional. Worship is not a conditional thing. Worship is a consistent posture of our heart. And so I think it is good to worship when we have nothing. It is especially good to worship when we see God has blessed us with things. I'm going to give you the perfect example of that from Habakkuk chapter 3. Verse 17, 18, though the fig tree does not bud and there is no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no fruit, though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. If we can't worship without the harvest, we can't worship with the harvest. I love this from Habakkuk. He's saying, even though nothing is going the way I want it to go, even though this fall really feels a lot like winter, 
I'm still going to worship. And if I can learn how to worship in the middle of a winter, guess what? I'm definitely going to know how to worship in fall. I'm definitely going to know how to give credit where credit is due in the best seasons of my life where God is bringing an abundant harvest. And so worship is the first big thing. The second big thing, be generous, right? We've got to learn how to say, okay, God, you've blessed me. Now I want to bless others. Deuteronomy uh, chapter 24, 19 says this, when you reap the harvest in your field, and you forget a sheaf in the field, don't go back and get it. It is to be left for the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Look at this principle, right, in Scripture. God says, hey, if you leave some excess for somebody else, don't turn around and say, oh, wait, I forgot that. I need that back. That's mine. No, he says there's a sense in which you need to understand when you're holding things loosely, it's going to be a, a big part of that is going to be you blessing other people and saying, hey, God's given me more than I need. And so here's what I want to do. I want to share this with you. I want to steward this. Well. I want to be generous with these things, right? Whether that's your time, whether that's your energy, whether that is the material things that God has blessed you and your family with, whatever, right? There's a, season, there's a sense in which in this season, in the fall season, we've got to learn to be generous with the things that God has blessed us with. And then the last thing is this, blessed to bless. We are blessed to blessed. What should I do? I should understand that this blessing is, yes, a part of generosity, but it's also an opportunity for me to bless other people, right? Genesis 12 verses two and three. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I'm blessing you to be a blessing to others, right? That is part of the generosity piece. We've got to have open hands with the things that God's called us to. They, they will know, the world will know that you are my disciples by how you love one another, right? By how we treat one another, by how we're generous, by how we're open-handed, by how we're so willing to give the neighbor the thing that they need when we're in a fall season and they're in a winter season, right? Whatever that looks like, however it looks, we've got to be willing to be generous. And Dave Ferguson kind of has this little blessed acronym to kind of unpack, okay, what does it look like? How can I tangibly, practically do this? Maybe you feel like God hasn't blessed me with a bunch of finance in the season, but I see the fall. I see the harvest. It's just not financially. And so, so what does this look like? How can I bless other people when I'm not really sure how this stuff applies to them? Check out this acronym and kind of filter that question through this. It's the word bless. The B is right here. Begin with prayer. We want you to ask, God, how do you want me to bless the people in the places you've sent me to. Start right there, just ask God, how do you want me to do this? How do you want me to navigate, navigate this? I wanna do this. I wanna bless other people, I'm not sure how. The simple, the simple start, ask him, God, what do you want me to do with this? The next step after we talk, right? We, we struggle with this, I think, a lot um, in, in prayer, but it's not just the talking piece, it's the listening piece, and so the L is listen. Don't talk, but listen to people, their struggles, their patterns, their pains, in the places that God has sent you, right? Listen to them and then listen to how he's answering your first question in light of their needs. The third letter E, eat. You can't just check this off. It's not quick. Uh, you can't, you, you have to have a meal with the people or a cup of coffee. It builds relationships. You've got to be in the trenches with them. I, we talked about this in our uh, series at the beginning of the year, right? I think off to a good start. We're so much more willing to say, hey, take my 20 bucks and leave me alone than we are to actually get in the trenches with people and give them our time, our energy, our affection, right? That third one's huge. I've got to get in the trenches with them. I can't just slap a 20 in their lap and say, hey, good luck, 
right? I've got to know them. I've got to grow in intimacy with them. I've got to see what the body needs so that I can speak to what the body needs. The first S in bless is serve. If you listen with people and you eat with people, they'll tell you how to love them and you'll know how to serve them, right? It's incorporated into that eat piece. I've got to listen to what you need and then I've got to willing, I've got to be willing to serve you, to have that posture that Jesus had when he looked at his disciples and said, hey, today you're gonna get service from me. Today, I'm gonna, I'm gonna serve you. I'm gonna honor you. We've got to have that same posture. And then that last S, right, story. When the time is right, now we talk and we share the story of how Jesus changed our life, right? When the time is right, after I've invested, after I've been around the table with them, after I've loved on them, after they see a genuine heart within me, when the time is right, I can't stop there. I've got to be willing to share the gospel because here's the reality. The biggest macro fall season of somebody's life is going to be the minute they realize God has done everything for them through the person of Jesus and he has afforded them so much and all they do in that moment by grace through faith is believe in him, repent, and all of that harvest is counted to them. Everything that God did, everything that he planted through his son, what he did with Jesus on the cross, that is afforded to them. And so there has to be a moment where we move just past practical generosity, the pragmatic side, and we say, okay, now I want you to know why I'm so generous, because Jesus has changed me. We can't turn inward. We can't be stagnant. If we turn inward, it, it starts with us and it dies with us, right? If, it, if we turn inward, we, we turn into this, this, this Petri dish, the science experiment, and it's not healthy, right? We don't want to be stagnant. We don't want to be a pond. We want to be like a river. We want to be constantly moving. We want to be constantly going. We want to be constantly open-handed with the things that God has blessed us with. It's a huge piece of how we navigate fall. It's a huge piece of how we're able to step in and bless others because the best part of fall, the beautiful part of fall, is that you get to see everything that you've worked for and how God has blessed it over and over and over again. But we can't stop there. We've got to move the needle. We've got to move the needle, not just in our lives. We've got to move the needle in other people's lives. We've got to be for them, for them with the gospel, for them with generosity, for them with how we steward the blessings that God has given us. It's huge. We can't miss it. You have a decision right now. How are you going to impact the fall season you're in? Because here's what happens, right? Going all the way back to the beginning. How you navigate fall right now is going to dictate what other people think about their fall later. How you navigate your fall right now is going to dictate what people think about their fall later, their winter later, their spring later, their summer later. What you do right now is going to have massive implications to how other people's lives are lived and what they come back to when they hear the name of Jesus. Let me pray for you. God, I pray that we would be people who have open hands. God, I pray that we would be people who steward your blessings well. God, I pray that we would be people who acknowledge your blessings. God, I pray that we'd be people um, who appreciate the fall seasons that you give us for what they are. God, and we would navigate them in a healthy way where we, we turn to you, we look at you, and we say, God, I acknowledge this is from you. Now, can you tell me what you want me to do with it? Now, can you tell me where you want me to go? God, I pray that we would be an open-handed people for the sake of your kingdom. We love you. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.